go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your host, Andrew Seipt. I must be louder. And site expert, Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ's so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We are back for our second episode this week here at the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm Stephen Kabitza, joined by Andrew Seipt. And Andrew, at the end of our last episode, brought up a storyline concerning the Browns he wanted to talk about that came out right after the week one loss. Andrew, you and Jason LaCanfora um, have some similar views on something? Typically, I don't agree with Jason LaCanfora. I, I understand the validity of his points, and I'm sure that a lot of them, a lot of his sources are in fact credible because there's, you know, that you don't just build up a reputation like that by having bad sources. So th- the only thing that I don't necessarily understand is, is why the Browns cut Joe Hayden, you know, without getting anything in return. I think we touched on it in the past, you know, that cutting Hayden in itself was not a, like a bad move. It's not something that we disagreed with. I know a lot of other people did, but you know, he makes a good point that the Browns essentially cut him for nothing. So it just kind of doesn't add up to me for a team that's looking to trade anything for draft picks. If they can't get an offer, you know, they, would you rather have him play for you? and make your team better or cut him free for nothing and let him go to the team that you played in week one. I just thought it was a little confusing. And just to clarify, if you didn't listen to last episode, Jason Lockhanfora came out with a report that says Hugh Jackson was quote irate at the Browns front office for that Joe Hayden decision to cut him. Um, especially I think right after he signed with the week one opponent, that's never a good thing. And he was also a team leader. And like you said, we just let him go for nothing. Um, Hugh Jackson came out this week and said he's on board with the front office, but I think that he has to say that. Yeah, I I remember hearing an interview. I I don't remember the woman's name, but she was in the front office when Hugh Jackson was in Oakland. And she had a little anecdote about something that happened within like almost like tension similar to what we're seeing, at least according to the Jason Lock and Fora article about some tension between or a decision that was made between the front office and the coaching staff that Hugh didn't agree with. And even though he doesn't agree with it behind the scenes, he's never a person that's going to let that information come out to the public or even have like side passive aggressive comments that would lead someone to draw that conclusion. Like we've seen in the past with Mike Pettin and Ray Farmer, you know, he's not going to do that. He's always going to be, yeah, we're in lockstep. While I, I, I'm not going to take Hugh Jackson's answers at face value, I think there is something deeper there. My concern with the article itself is just whether or not this tension is something that would cause you know ramifications down the road, or at what point does it hit a boiling point and one of, one of the sides has to go. The one thing to keep in mind is that ultimately winning would solve all this, but right now, obviously went 1-15 last year, 0-1 so far. If the team does rattle off a bunch of wins, all this tension goes down. But with the Browns, we know that's never the, never what happens. So yeah. at this point, there probably is tension because Hugh, Jack, Hugh Jackson has to go along with this plan that probably is on the opposite philosophy of his traditional views of building a team. And he has to trust them. 
yet he's saying, hey, we just lost one of our captains. Yeah, and I know we didn't, I mean, we kind of knocked Joe Hayden a little bit saying he wasn't a good corner, and maybe it was a little bit short-sighted because I didn't even think about the fact that we let him go for free and he could have just played on the roster. And maybe he would have cost the Browns, you know, or a guy like Brian Body Calhoun playing time, which may have been the case, but it's just an interesting point that you're letting that guy go for nothing. And he was such a, a leader in that locker room. So I wouldn't say that cutting Hayden, like I think they would still do it again tomorrow, but it just, after that article comes out, it just gives me a little bit of concern because I don't think the Browns are tanking. I just think that having Hayden on the team gives you a better chance to win than than not having him. Similar to, I mean, another trade that happened and that was mentioned in the article, Demario Davis and Calvin Pryor. I don't know how big of an impact Demario Davis would have had, but it's got to be better than what the impact Calvin Pryor made. I mean, he did absolutely nothing here. And there were concern, character concerns with him and Osweiler. And now Hugh Jackson's forced to kind of make these guys work, you know, because the front office is acquiring them. And I think that just kind of frustrates him because he's almost like, in his mind, being set up to fail or not not being given the adequate tools to to try and go out and win football games. You know, we talked off the air a few days ago about that prior for Davis trade, and essentially, at least I think we both agreed on the fact that the front office probably thought they can maybe get a steal in prior, um, someone who did have character issues and just never really lived up to his potential with the Jets. And they wanted to get rid of Davis's salary, but sometimes if there's character issues, it doesn't matter how good he is on the field, he's not going to fit anywhere. I mean, yeah. he got kicked off the team for fighting before the first game of the season. Exactly. And speak, I mean, along the same lines with the, in terms of the last name, you know, it brings to light another decision that the front office made in not bringing back Terrell Pryor or paying him what he wants. I understand they offered him the Kenny Britt contract. He declined it, wanted to get more, took a worse deal. I, I get that. I, I, I wanted Terrell Pryor back. I understand what the decision that he made. But if you're the – like, I, I have to guarantee you that the coaching staff wanted Terrell Pryor back. There's no doubt in my mind. No matter what the I, – I, I have to believe that even the price tag couldn't have been that high for them to just be like, no, we're not signing this guy, even if it was a one-year 15 million prove-it deal. Like, what you, you're able to take on a second-round pick – and $16 million in Brock Osweiler, but you're not willing to pony up money for a receiver that is better than Kenny Britt. Just looking at the two receivers side by side, you have one receiver in Kenny Britt who drops a wide open pass in the middle of the field and then gets aggressive or very defensive with the reporters when asked about it. And then you have the stark opposite of a guy in Terrell Pryor that basically took ownership and said, yeah, I like lo- I lost us the game by doing that. He had a, a wide open play in the first quarter that, that could have gone for a touchdown that he missed, that he just couldn't find the ball, dropped it. You know, that's something that can change a game. But if when you look at the veteran that's been in the league for, I don't know, 9, 10 years, he's the one that's, that's acting like almost a, a rookie or a baby being defensive about him not catching the ball versus a guy like Terrell Pryor that's being a leader, taking ownership for his mistakes and not pawning it off on anybody else. So I have to believe that that, that is a, a reason for friction as well in not signing Terrell Pryor and going with a guy like Kenny Britt. It's always tough at this point in time because we're judging decisions really without seeing how the people we let go are playing um, for throughout a whole season. So obviously yeah. say Joe Hayden gets hurt due to structural damage, not just a chance thing. Uh, say Terrell Pryor has a bad year. 
Uh, somehow Kenny Britt turns it around. It's it's tough to judge things now, mm-hmm. but I do think with the winning and losing, it's if at the time of these deals, it's like, oh yeah, we couldn't get Pryor, we got Britt, perfect. Uh, you know, we got Brock Osweiler in this trade and that second round pick, genius move. But if if the team keeps losing, there's the immediate shift of well, it didn't it didn't help anything. Well, it's the benefit of the doubt, you know, like that. It just continues to go the opposite of the way the Browns needed to, you know, Seattle cuts a guy like Casey Williams and everyone's like, Ooh, you know, they, that, that's a guy that we thought they should have kept. He ends up with the Browns versus if the Browns, the Browns cut a guy like Joe Hayden and all of a sudden they're the, the pariah of the national football league for doing that. And it's just because you've not established a winning culture, you know, until you start winning games and being taken seriously in the NFL, you're all of those moves are still going to be questioned until you're able until the proof's in the pudding so I, I understand why some of the reactions to brown's moves are the way that they are and only winning is going to change that moving on to not moving on but kind of shifting the focus a bit to the upcoming game this sunday which i'm picking the browns to win in which we will get to in a bit is this weekend's game with keep in mind that just want to ask you a quick question before we get in the nuts and bolts of the game with the next game um, next week from being against the Indianapolis Colts with Scott Tolzien. Would you say that this Sunday's game is a must win to kind of keep spirits relatively easy and level among the team to avoid a 2016 like downward spiral? Or regardless, do you think week three is basically an automatic win? <laughs> There's no automatic wins. Trust me. I-, I agree with that. But let's say a game where they don't go in as crazy underdogs basically is this week two game a, would a loss derail the season at zero and two no I, I don't i think the ravens are not as good of a team as in years past i think they're almost transitioning back to that model of the 2000 it was a 2002 team with trent dilfer where they were relied heavily on their defense in a running game and had a, a game manager as a quarterback Joe Flacco is not at the level he's not playing at the level that he was when he when they went to the Super Bowl and won it that defense is just flat out nasty Uh, they have a a perfect record against rookie quarterbacks at home I don't think it's a must win but I do think it's another measuring stick for the Browns especially on the offensive side of the ball because Pittsburgh while they don't have an amazing defense the Browns were able to do something on the offensive side of the ball. Now this is a real defense. It's a real test for the, not only the running game, but Deshaun's, Deshaun Kaiser's ability to learn about not holding onto the ball too long. So, But no, I, I don't think it's a must win. I don't think it is either. I just get scared because after last year, it was, you know, it was week one, blowout loss. Week two, they blew it after Josh McCown you know, went rogue and <laughs> stands See, in the pocket and drilled. Right there. Week three. Like, they're not getting, like, they got blown out last year in a lot of games. So that is what's the morale killer. This year, I mean, last week, I guarantee you everyone in that locker room goes, man, we should have won. Like, we could have won that game. But I'm saying last year, weeks two, three, and four, close games. Then after that, kind of went downhill. I don't know if a week two this year blowout loss derails things. for we Even against Scott Tolzien, the great hero. I think there's a little bit more optimism or just talent in general on this team. Yeah, they're also just better. Yeah, and last year, I mean, Hugh Jackson was able to keep that team up and fighting into week 15 of that dismal season. So I've got to believe that 
not like if they're not building a winning culture, they're at least building a culture in there that they're not getting down on themselves or feeling sorry for themselves. You know, they they truly want to go out and compete and win every week. And while last year was tough because they just were so bad, you know, this year they've got the some pieces in place that at least make you a competitive football team as we saw last week. No, I agree. And we're getting Miles Garrett back in a few weeks, so we're only getting better on paper at least the problem last year was the fact that you had a third string rookie quarterback in week three i think that really started the downfall not good not good we talked off the air again we talk off the air frequently about how i think this is an interesting point to discuss heading into week two is kind of the draft class from this year and last year you kind of, i mean i kind of brought up the point that at least this year the second year players through one game in the preseason also are looking better, but you kind of made the point that, kind of going back to the Lockhand Fora article a bit, the philosophy change in this year's draft. Well, when you have 12 picks in one, like you keep all 12 draft picks. And last year, you know, like thank God we're seeing, like you said, those spark from those second year players, Joe Schobert, Corey Coleman, who else am I missing? Derek Kindred. Derek Kindred, you know, Corey there's Coleman. There's at least some players that are making an impact from that draft. So, thank God, because this year, when you look at the two drafts side by side, you know, you look at a guy like Corey Coleman, Carl Nassib, Emmanuel Agba, all like Big Ten SEC, like defensive player of the year. Statistically, you know, they're the, they're the leaders for their conference. They may not, they may not have been the highest rated draft players at their position, but they had ended up winning awards over time. So you look at that and then you look at this draft where you have Miles Garrett, you have Jabril Peppers, dynamic freak of an athlete. David Njoku, freak of an athlete. Ogan Joby, I mean, that dude is built like, I mean, he's stacked. So just looking at, from afar, I look at last year's draft as like the analytical, like these are the, these are the reasons why we chose these guys, especially when I look at the quarterback position. I look at Cody Kessler. That's That was an analytic move or a front office move, no doubt. And then this year they wait and take Deshaun Kaiser and that's that's Hugh Jackson's guy. So I, I, I'm glad that they're finally letting the coaches or at least taking the input seriously. And I hope that's something that continues because this draft class so far has looked pretty damn good. And I kind of want to ask, too, because this draft class, this year's draft class probably has more overall talent. The last one that you said was more analytical and a lot of award winners. Do you think, though, that the success of this year's team relies heavily upon last year's draft class? Because they committed so many, and, and even the undrafted guys like Body Calhoun they, and Trevin Coley, they committed so much, so many resources and roster spots. I mean, they cut Joe Hayden. Well, I think part of the rebuild too is just like it's throwing it all to a wall and see what sticks. You know, that was a huge, like that's what a lot of pundits don't want to like understand about this rebuild is like of course you're going to say you're going to win games. Like the goal is always to win games, but you've also got to recognize where your team's at. And when you don't know if you have these playmakers, like the Browns plan is always to be competitive in 2018, 2019. So in that, in between that, you have to be able to find core building pieces of your team. So when you see a guy like Brian Batty Calhoun balling out in the preseason, and then you see a guy like Joe Hayden, who's, on the decline of his career, you know, and in 2018, 2019, probably not going to be on the roster. It's almost just like clearing the way out just to give a guy that you think 
he could be a piece in the future to build around on a defense, you know, you've got to be able to see if he's got it. You can't just, it, you, it's taking an unknown and making it a known simply by just giving them playing time, extended playing time. No, I agree. I, I agree with your view on the rebuild too. It's, it's systematic in a sense, but at the same time we're dealing with human beings. So you have to just hope it works out. You'll have situations where guys will be busts. It's always going to happen. You have to hit on 50% of your picks, and you're probably going to be great. If you hit on less, be bad. Well, I, I think you're always going to have busts, but it's, it's minimizing how bad they truly are because you can have a bust in the NFL as a first-round pick and still have it be a, just a, a role player. Not even He doesn't have to be – you know, some $100 million defensive end, you know, everyone would like that. But, you know, sometimes you get stuck with a guy that just plays a niche role on a defense. You know, he's not blowing the world up, but he's a good, he's a good piece to have. So it's, it's drafting guys like Larry Ogunjobi, you know, that, that can make an impact here and there that aren't a constantly dominating player, but it's limiting those first round pick busts that have, like the Justin Gilbert, Johnny Manziel, where they're out, yeah, where like they're Cam out two years. You know, it, just having first round picks on the roster is going to make your talent level better. And when they're out of the league in two years, it does your team no good. There will come a point in time when we don't have to talk about all these existential Browns points. But I think if we want to move into a bit, um, kind of this Sunday, as I kind of brought up and you agreed with, it's not we agree do a lot or die on show. because it's the Browns. A lot. <laughs> it's it's not do or die this Sunday because it's the Browns. They're not going to the playoffs. They could. I don't know. Indians have I don't a know. crazy I'm win not, streak. Why again, can't the I don't want to say be? the Browns are making the playoffs, but if I can see if the, if the Browns <laughs> are in the hunt through like week six and seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you know, that's that's the sign of a, an up-and-coming football team. You know, you get down 0-4, I mean, you're done. Similar to what the Indians are doing. There's always there's a saying in baseball, you can't win the division in April, but you can lose it. And the Indians all the time they used to lose the division in April so many times because they would get off to this slow start and they'd be nine games back in the division and then that's just a lot to make up over the course of a season and it it rarely ends up happening. So if you get off to a good start, get a couple wins under your belt. They have an easy schedule coming up with the Colts, Jets, uh who's the other team I'm forgetting? Bengals, Texans, Texans Bengals. and Bengals. You know, those are, those are good teams. After and the Ravens. Again, good measuring sticks to see where the Browns are, are really at in terms of talent level and ability to win. But you've just got to get a couple in there to bol- to keep the morale up and just, just letting the team know that they truly can beat teams like this in the NFL. You know, I, I've talked before about the fact that they are so young. It's going to be tough to close out games against veteran teams like your Pittsburghs, your Baltimores, Andy Dalton and the Bengals, you know, teams like that know how to get it done at the end of the game and a team like the Browns that's so young is that's definitely not in their favor so they're going to have to find ways to combat that and and pull some games out yes we just have to say trust in trust in the rookies who are most of them are younger than us and we're not even that old I mean Miles Garrett's like 21 and I'm he's six he's 21 Kaiser's 21 I think Peppers is 21 I saw an article that said Miles Garrett was like working on an upper body workout I'm like what does that guy have left to do I'm like you you won the gym you've already you've succeeded so just (laughs) like a Pokemon trainer he it's his Uh, gym he's he's lifting up the entire gym by himself that's what he's doing that's what he's doing 
But I mean, we talked a little bit about the Ravens' defense, obviously having a, a perfect record at home versus rookie quarterbacks. Just to give you some statistics here, obviously this is a strength for the Ravens, and they showed it last week against Andy Dalton, causing four turnovers. Ironically, in the year 2011 was the first year um, Andy Dalton being the rookie quarterback had a decent day, but threw three interceptions, 24 or 45, 373, three picks. Three Browns quarterbacks on this list. I'll go right down the list. Andy Dalton, Brandon Whedon, Geno Smith, Connor Shaw, Cody Kessler, and Carson Wentz. All really lackluster days against this Ravens defense. You know, they've gotten a lot better in the offseason, too. So, Steven, how do you think Deshaun Kaiser is going to fare against this defense on Sunday? As the perpetual Browns apologist I am, I'm going to disregard history and say that Kaiser at this point in time compared to where those guys were at their current you know when they were rookies he's the best one of the bunch i think and of course my opinion becomes completely irrelevant on sunday if he plays poorly but i think it's a different situation i mean you look at all the browns guys are on that list not very good geno smith pretty bad andy dalton good now but i mean even last week he threw three picks against the ravens so I here 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 is our sticking point for this game. If the Browns run the ball, it'll become so much easier on Deshaun Kaiser. But if Hugh Jackson once again abandons the run, I I think it could be a nightmare. And I think you mentioned off the air that Kaiser might throw a bunch of interceptions because they'll just they'll yeah, know I what's mean, coming just the the Ravens if I'm the Ravens I mean it's a pretty simple game plan on defense you know take away the run and make the rookie beat us it's simple I think that that'll be the game plan for every team moving forward which is why my key to victory is lit- it just says run the damn ball you know 17 carries from Crowell is fine but you got to put a little bit more on there, especially when you're on the road in hostile territory in Baltimore against a nasty defense. You've got to be able to have a balanced offense because, like you said, if you make Deshaun Kaiser throw the ball 50 times, look at Andy Dalton's the one that threw the most interceptions, threw the ball 45 times, had three interceptions. You know, I, I have, I could see a similar stat line with a lot less yardage from Deshaun Kaiser just based on the fact that the Ravens are going to make Deshaun Kaiser beat them and I just have no confidence at the run game at this point I was watching the uh the first Monday night game with the Saints and the Vikings and they were showing Dalvin Cook running all over the Saints and John Gruden said you know what that's the first key to any game you have to yeah, establish man. the run I was like well golly John <laughs> I have no I have this no guy idea. can play football to be fair, this guy he can play football <laughs> to be fair sometimes the Browns do try to run and they just get stuffed but the key is picking the right time not just going yeah. oh it's first down run the ball then they get a loss he goes well we're passing the rest of the game it's like me yeah. playing madden like a, running the ball is well boring. You just, they don't have positive running plays you know at least last week i mean they they would run the ball i think there was like we mentioned off the air shocker and we talk more off the air than we do on the air <laughs> crowell had a run where he got stuffed in the backfield ended up being a six yard loss like that's what makes you have to pass the ball so much and if you're not getting a good push from your offensive line, what's to what's to say that the pass rot or the pass protection is going to be any better? So, I mean, Gruden is right that you have to be able to run the ball, but again, it just all comes back to making it so the defense is on their heels versus being able to stack eight in the box and either come after the quarterback and swallow up the run or 
you know, having to play back on their heels and getting bit by play action, which is what I know that's what Hugh Jackson wants to do. Since you gave your key to victory and also mentioned the play of the line pass protection, my key is not (laughs) run the damn ball. It's get rid of the damn ball. Deshaun Kaiser, as mentioned in our offensive line grades published by Joel Cade, who is a proud listener of the podcast and writer for Dog Pound Daily, I believe he said only one sack was the fault of the offensive line. Kaiser, there was points when Kaiser last week had plenty of time to throw the ball away out of the pocket too, and he would just go to the ground. Like it, he, it's like he was trying so hard to protect the ball, and not turn it over. He would wouldn't even try to throw it away. It's like, man, you gotta gotta get rid of the ball and not I get hit so much. Wonder if that has anything to do with just the lack of separation that's created by the receivers. I, I think it's a huge part of it. That's what I, I was I wrote thinking. about that in our offensive takeaways. Because he's just way... Yeah, he's just sitting back there, and I understand. I think he knows he's got to get rid of the ball, too, but if there's nothing there, he he's going to have to get out of the pocket and make a play. But again, it's on the receivers to realize that and, and make an effort to get open and come back to the ball. Like, Look at Aaron Rodgers and his receivers. I mean, they run the route, and then if, if they don't see a ball, you know, they're, they're wide open all the time. It helps when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, but I have... No doubt that Deshaun Kaiser will eventually be able to make those same type of throws. So it's just about I think the Browns really have to do a good job of, of getting open to get to, to let Deshaun Kaiser throw him the ball. And hopefully this Sunday, Sammy Coates, Case and Williams will have a little more time with the offense and their speedsters. Hopefully, and this is a big hopefully, they can come out, really improve upon the Kenny Britt style routes. Oh, we're gonna Dwayne replace uh, Kenny Britt who can't catch with Sammy Coates who also can't catch? Okay, that is correct. I mean, again, I I get it. Like I read an article today that said they they view Sammy Coates as a special teams player. Like, okay, great. Well, he's also a receiver, so let him see if he can catch the damn ball because Kenny Britt can't. So, <laughs> I understand you can't fix all the holes in in one year, but they got to do something at that position at some point. It's like they build a house with a good foundation and then just fill it with like just mud. Like, yeah, we build a good base. Uh, our windows are currently non-existent. Our refrigerator's filled with mold, but don't worry. And it's just you have a good line, yeah. good defensive line, wide receiving courts. Oh, we'll just pick them up on waivers. Like this isn't fantasy football. You can't just show up. God. But hey, it's, they're only zero and one. I, the thing is, though, is you see receivers like Antonio Brown, fifth round pick, but then you also see guys like Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, like top overall picks. So. Who the Browns could have picked both. Don't get me started about that. Don't get me started Do about the Julio trade. <laughs> I uh, that's that's a I don't want to bring that harsh memory up. Who is who is the Julio trade for? Phil Taylor, Brandon Whedon, Trent Richardson, and <sighs> I forget the other. There's a couple other parts of that trade. <laughs> All right, I, I want to bring up something quick before we talk more about the game because we're talking about the receiving core we want to do a quick josh gordon update apparently he's coming out of rehab and people are excited but i think we're both on the same page he's not coming back the dude liked a twitter video from bleacher report about when when pittsburgh blocked the punt and returned it for a touchdown he liked the tweet from bleacher report that had that video in it's it. the ultimate like, troll he had a snapchat video of uh, was he a, burning a his throwing brown away stuff? brown stuff? Like, if any of you have seen Ace Ventura, Pet Detective with Ray Finkel, 
and he goes to Ray Finkel's parents' house, and she goes, oh, Ray will be home any minute, you know? Oh, Josh Gordon's going to come back and play for the Browns. And then all of a sudden she leaves the room, and the dad goes, Ray ain't coming home. You know, that's that's how it is. That is this is exact same situation. No matter how hard we try, Josh Gordon will not play another snap for the Cleveland Browns, and I can't keep I, – I want him to so bad. I do. I think he's an immense talent. And it's a w- complete waste if he ends up never playing another NFL snap. But I just don't think – I think the Browns are past Josh Gordon, and I think Josh Gordon is past the Browns. So I think an even split is something that's beneficial for both sides. Yeah, that's the key to understand. There's some people who are so pro-Gordon. If you say, I don't think he's coming back, they're like, you just – you're a hater, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm just trying to soften the blow. It's like, hey, you know, oh, I'm waiting. He's going to come back. Like, guys, guys – He's he doesn't like the Browns. He probably doesn't care at all about the fans, and these fans are giving so much energy and emotion to a guy who's just not reliable. I think the Browns' best, like what they're hoping for, is that he just doesn't get reinstated. Because if he doesn't get reinstated, then they don't have a decision to make at all. Because I think what what the Brown and obviously what everyone in Cleveland is afraid of is the fact that he is so talented. You know, you don't want him to go to another team and tear it up. You don't want him to end up having a Hall of Fame career in a jersey that's not brown and orange. But when he came back in 2000, was it 2014? That year he came back. He played uh, six games in 2014. He derailed the offense. Exactly. Completely derailed the offense. He was the reason why Brian Hoyer threw some of those interceptions. I remember the Falcons game in specific. But... I mean, if he's going to be that kind of cancer in the locker room, like that's the opposite of what you're trying to build this year. So that's that's why I think like, I want him to play more than anybody. The Browns need a wide receiver. I've been telling, I've been saying this for months now that they need a wide receiver. And there's one that's six foot four and can run like a horse sitting on our bench. But I, again, I don't think it's it's smart for the Browns to have him back. I really don't. The Browns' best receiver since 1999. Since ever he. Josh Gordon is the best. He is the best receiver the Browns have had. You know, he limited playing time, but there's. An, I will never see another receiver that can run the way he can. Yeah, they're going to cut him, and he's going to go to the Steelers. So I'll just say that now, so yeah. we can all accept we'll go to the it. Giants and play with OBJ, and then they'll never lose another game. Uh, well, they lost last week, and OBJ is hurt, so maybe that could be yeah, a fit the, in your uh, ten ten landing spots for Josh Gordon oh, slideshow. It'd be, you know, it would, the problem with that, it would be 31 potential landing spots for Josh Gordon, but (laughs) some CFL teams, the Browns are in such a pickle is because no one's going to trade for him. Like if you're an NFL team, what would you give up for a receiver that is one instance away from never, like he would never get reinstated again if he got suspended. And I hate that we're spending so much time on this clown. Yeah. Let's, let's move on from Gordon before we get in the Gordon rabbit hole, which we're kind of already in. I think we should move into some fantasy football stuff, seeing as how we're kind of talking about fantasy football. Steven, do you have any Browns players on your team that you're thinking about playing this week? Well, I do have Isaiah Crowell and Corey Coleman in my starting lineup in my Yahoo League. Did I win last week? No. (laughs) But I played the highest score in the league. Yeah, I have those two. Um, I hate to say it, but they do have good garbage time potential. I'm hoping that's not the case. Coleman had a solid week, had that touchdown last week, along with, I believe, 55 yards. So I was pleased with his performance. Crowell had the two-point conversion, gave me a few extra points there. Um, I'm still buying into the fact that Hugh Jackson's going to commit to the run. That's the hill I'm willing to die on. 
even if it never happens? Well, it's not. I mean, I understand that that we want him to commit to the run, but I think it's also a question of are they going to be able to actually run? Oh, I agree. You know, so I I'm sitting Crowell if I have him in any leagues. The only player that I'm starting is the Ravens defense. Uh, I think obviously you're going to have a lot. You have a lot of sack potential, a lot of interception potential. Plus, the Ravens just always find a way to take a defensive touchdown to the Browns, whether it's a blocked field goal at the end of regulation that they take back to win for a touchdown or an Ed Reed 102-yard interception. Or, you know, they they find ways to score on defense, and I think the Ravens are going to make the Browns one-dimensional, and Kaiser's going to have some some rookie interceptions. So on the Ravens' side, they're the only player I'm starting. Terrence West, I think, is a flex option at best. I have him in a half point per reception league uh former brown yeah i think this game in terms of fantasy is not necessarily one that you want to be a part of it's two good defenses with below average offenses that doesn't really bode well from a fantasy perspective i really don't have much to add for the ravens side i agree i think the mike wallace macklin duo is kind of like a 2013 (laughs) pro bowl team yeah but if you look at those guys as their f- feature options in the receiving core, you might want to go with one if you have a deep team. I would or say like Jeremy a, Macklin. A deep roster. you probably go with Macklin there. But the Browns' secondary looked good last week. Antonio Brown got his yards, but he's the best receiver in football, I'd say. So he's always going to get his. It also depends on how – I mean, if Jabril Peppers continues to play that far back, I think there's still an opportunity, especially in a PPR half-point perception. You know, you're, you're still going to get – some points there's going to be a a decent amount of underneath routes especially to guys like jeremy macklin so i wouldn't say they're a desperation play but again with two good defenses going at each other it doesn't doesn't necessarily equate to an offensive shootout but as we've seen before you know whatever our expectations are going in can be completely flipped around in the first quarter of the game and that tends to happen more often than not so do you have a, a sleeper by chance that uh that you think may erupt as, as like kind of the impact player of this game that no one's thinking about? Yeah, I'll say someone who you brought up in your takeaways article. I'll say Seth DeValve. It seemed like he was really involved in the offense last week as the number one tight end over in Joku. You never know how that's going to change. It's going to take one big game from the rookie, um, I think, to really put him at that number one spot. But DeValve seems like the reliable target for Kaiser, and maybe if they march it down to the red zone as they did a few times last week, DeValve will be the target. I think he can get a – I don't think he'll have 100 yards. He's not going to have a Gary Barnage throwback game. But he kind of plays more like a wide receiver. So he's definitely someone – if you're really looking at Coleman as the number one receiver on the team, the guy who's, I think, second in line to get bulk of the receptions would be Seth DeValve. What about you? I'm actually going to go with Buck Allen from the Ravens. Uh, I think, obviously, Terrence West is the, the power runner there. And – with Greg Williams being so aggressive on defense in terms of getting after the quarterback. If they're not running the ball, I think something we saw last week too was just some screen action with Pittsburgh, you know, taking advantage of the fact that they are blitzing a lot. The Browns did a good job of covering it up, but you know, sometimes you do get beat on those plays. And I think Buck Allen has an opportunity almost like a boomer bust with the Browns defense being aggressive and a cha- and him being a change of pace back. I think it's, he's someone that could cause headaches for the Browns on Sunday. So he's a sleeper, but you're not playing him. Well, I don't have him on my roster because I have a good team. But I'm just saying, I think oh, wow. he, he's a guy Harsh that could on change. Buck Allen. Yeah. Oh, I used to have Terrence West, so I'm not going to play both. 
True I'm play art all model of the moves. <laughs> um, I think we talked a little bit about some of the keys to victory. Obviously, mine is run the ball, and yours yours was what? Uh, get rid of the ball. Get rid of the ball. That's what it was. So <laughs> score the we're, ball. We're all about talking about balls here on the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. But I had another one too that kind of I didn't realize it until you know I, I obviously sat down to to think about it. But last week the Browns did force some Pittsburgh mistakes and they just weren't able to capitalize on them. And I think that's, that's important for a young team to do, especially when you're, you are trying to win games that people aren't expecting you to win. So if you are, if the Browns are going to force turnovers, like the Derek Kindred interception last week, just make sure you're not going three and out, like capitalize on those turnovers. I think that's more important than even forcing the turnover themselves, because it's such a momentum shift that can really change the way the game, change the flow of the game and really put your team in a position to win and put the, put the other team on their heels would you like to throw out your bold prediction of your lock this week i would i'm actually it's yours probably the same too it's pretty fairly obvious Uh, last week uh atlanta wasn't a big a lock as we thought apparently no uh chicago had four chances four chances at the goal line and i honestly thought they were going to do it they had a couple drops but uh luckily we didn't look bad on that one hey but i'm atlanta won yeah, I'm going with the Cardinals over the Colts. Ooh, uh, that's not Colts, my lock. The Colts so we have different look ones. terrible, and the Cardinals also look terrible, but I th- I would rather take the Cardinals over the Colts. The Colts made the Rams look like the greatest show on turf again. Exactly, and I think that unless the Rams are world beaters now, I think the Cardinals will not put up the same numbers but beat them quite easily on Sunday. My lock is the Oakland Raiders over Josh McCown and the New York Jets. Oh. Oakland went in and beat Tennessee, who I believe you picked to win. I, I stuck with Derek Tennessee. Carr and the Raiders. But now they're playing the Jets. I think the Jets are going to go 0-16 unless they beat the Browns, and then they go 1-15. Yeah. That'd be funny. <laughs> I-, I wouldn't say funny. It'd be funny like after Ironic. the fact. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, of course that. No, like I say funny because I'm like, oh, sh- I, I, I wouldn't put it past the Browns to lose that game. That's just what I'm accustomed to. So do you have an upset pick this week? I do. Oh, I have several actually in my pick and pull leagues, including the Dog Pound Daily one. But I'm going with one that I actually do believe will happen. I am picking the Browns as one of my picks, and they're my upset wow. pick. Wow. Wow. Good for you. You have confidence. I, I wish I had that, at least in the Browns. <laughs> I wish I had confidence. That was sad. When it comes to the Browns, I'm like, you gotta, you gotta show me something before I. Because every time I pick the Browns, they come out and play a game like they do against, you know, like the Jets la- or in 2015, where they just lose like 31 to 10. You're like, ugh. But okay. hey, you're waiting for them to show you something. I'm predicting when they are gonna win, which is That's Sunday. True. All right. I hope it happens. I'm going with a game that's happening tonight as we record uh, 5 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. I'm going with the Texans over the Bengals. Well, I picked them too. I think I think a lot of people are favoring the Bengals at home, especially after the Texans meltdown. Good for the Browns draft picks against Jacksonville on Sunday. But I think that defense, that, that team's too talented to not play that well and i think the i don't think the Bengals are nearly as talented and i think that the insertion of deshaun watson in the starting lineup will give him at least enough juice to get him over the hump against cincinnati on thursday night so this is going to be published after the game so i'm going to go along and say also i do also believe texans are going to win because thursday night great thursday night games are crap shoots mm-hmm. i believe in deshaun watson 
I think the the Bengals also have horrible home attendance, so I don't think it's going to be too big of a factor. Yeah. You never know with Brian. Andy time, Dalton though. got shut out last week against the Ravens, which could be bad news for the Browns. I don't know yet. I don't know if it was a fluke. I mean, I I kind of touched on that. Like, I mean, they're it's going to be a tough day on Sunday. I'm no, not... I agree, but we don't know if it's because the Bengals this year are just going to be atrocious, or that's Do you see, think the your view question... is that it's going to be tough. My view is maybe maybe the Ravens aren't as great as they looked in week one that's just me being a browns you know browns upset picker kind of segueing into that then let's what's your prediction for the game or score prediction for the game on sunday then Ooh, tough 24 24 23 <laughs> the defense is Man, gonna bend but not break many you're times taking the over i don't think I, i'm rush. i might download bovada just to take the under on this game i'm going 17 9 ravens it's oh, gonna be a, sounds like a boring game it's, it's like going to be yeah uh, I think the Browns are going to end up, they're going to be close, but they're just not going to be able to pull it out once again. And I think that's going to be a, unfortunately a common theme for this team all year. Um, speaking of picks, you know, just a little update on our pick and pool between us two, Steven, you had 11 correct picks last week. I came in at nine. I chose Washington and Tennessee and they did not win. Um, Tennessee was my upset pick. So I was a little disappointed there. I also was disappointed in Washington. I don't think they played nearly as well as people expected them to, but they're ba- they're underdogs this week against the Rams. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And Sean McVay, interesting storyline to watch ex offensive coordinator of the Redskins is now the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. So that's something to watch, but this being a Browns podcast, we'll leave the uh, NFL storylines. We talked to... about Kirk Cousins enough in the offseason. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to talk anymore about him. But I'm sure we will in the offseason when he's a free agent, so stay tuned. Uh, I'm going to close here with uh, an interesting storyline. Mine's actually not in the realm of NFL. The Cleveland Indians have won 21 straight games, setting an American League record, and now they go for the national or the Major League record um, for a win streak is it tonight or tomorrow night tonight but also so that so there is the 1916 new york giants baseball club with their 26 game streak they had a tie but they played all their games at home during that streak yeah and i mean no one really considers anything from there was a hundred years ago yeah is that oh that is a hundred years ago holy crap man you can't compare things no but I, this is downright impressive, an insanely impressive streak. The dominance that they've showed is just something that I've never seen out of a baseball team, and I'm happy it's happening in Cleveland. What's yours? So mine is football-related because that's what's on the agenda. <laughs> if, oh, I'm sorry. If, oh, Andrew, can we talk Stick to sports, idiot. Stick to football. No, there's several going on. Mine is kind of a bummer. It's all the concussions the Texans are dealing with. Um, I think that, and the NFL said there was nothing systemic about it, and everyone's like, well, the sport. But (laughs) I think there's going to be more situations like this that keep coming up, and the NFL kind of puts out their own PR of, I know on the national broadcast, look at these new helmets we have. They give when you get hit. Doesn't uh, matter. Well, you're still getting yeah. blasted by JJ. Cars give when they get hit too, and it doesn't prevent injuries. So, yeah, it's it's just I see all those concussions, and it's man, I don't know if in ten years from now if the game will be the same, or if in twenty years it'll be here. We still like it, but it's that's definitely something to keep an eye on. For I mean, any t- we're I was watching with Brandon Onda, 
frequent listener. And when Ricardo Lewis got blasted, it was just like, man, it's tough to it's tough to like it, watch it. And it's not in the sense of, oh, this is tough to watch, but you know, I'm ignoring it. It's you still realize it's happening, and it's could really spark some problems for the league moving forward. On that note, if it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. If they lose, last week wasn't a bummer though. No, I'm saying if they get blown oh, out this oh, oh, yeah. Sunday. Sorry, I, I wasn't listening there. My bad. But yeah, I figured. Yeah, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll let you know what the you'll see on Monday what the tune of the argument is based on based on how they play on Sundays. Of course, thank you for listening, as Andrew said, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.